We are looking at Judges chapter 11, verse 29 to verse 40. As I said, the outline says, Blind to Grace. Now, American missionary Rosemary Miller, in a wonderful book called Nothing is Impossible with God. You have to like a title like that. In a wonderful book, Nothing is Impossible with God, she says many followers of Jesus live like orphans. She says orphans like to take care of themselves. Orphans work hard to protect themselves. Orphans have to work hard to protect themselves because they fear being taken advantage of. Orphans crave to be loved, but they doubt that anyone will ever love them. Orphans only trust themselves. And she says many of us share these characteristics. Those of us who truly have a faith in Christ still somehow share these characteristics. We are living trying to take care of ourselves when God's sensational grace is available to us. We are living like that even though we know God loves us. Deep down, we feel we can't depend on God. The the, the issue is that even though we know that we are saved by the grace of God in Jesus, not because of any of our works we've done, many of us still try and live trying to please God. We still try and live by works. You see, many of us here this morning who are truly born again are yet still blind to the fact that the same grace of God that has saved us is the same grace of God that keeps us in our relationship with God. You are saved by the grace and you are kept by grace. But many of us are still blind to that. And you know what? We're not only blind to the fact that the grace of God keeps us, we are blind to the ongoing evidences of grace in our lives. This is very serious, you see, because if we continue living like that, it gets tiring. It gets tiring, doesn't it? Trying to earn God's favor is tiring. It's perfect. If we're living like that, we'll be so joyless. There'll be no joy in our fellowship together, even as believers. Friends, God wants you to live by grace. He wants you to fully trust Him. He wants you to know deep in your heart that He is permanently committed to you. That there's nothing, that if you have truly repented and come to faith in Jesus, there's nothing you can do to pluck yourself out of His hand. So this morning, I want you to examine yourself and just answer one simple question that I've put as the second bullet in the outline. Are you trusting in the grace of God or are you trusting yourself? Take a look at your life. Are you living as somebody who fully depends on the grace of God or are you living as someone who's really depending on yourself? And to help you answer this question, look at me in Judges chapter 11, verse 29 to verse 40, which our dear brother Nick just read for us. Now, if you're here last week, you know that we started looking at this passage last week. We saw God empower Jephthah in verse 29, and we saw Jephthah, empowered by God, defeat the Ammonites in verse 33. And that is where we ended. He defeated them with a great blow. Today I'll do something that I have not done before. I will rewind 
the tape, so to speak, and begin at verse 29. Not the same sermon. I'm rewinding, starting at verse 29, because you see, there are two stories running parallel. One is Jephthah defeating the Ammonites, and the other one is Jephthah making this tragic vow. So today, this morning, we looked at the defeat last week. This morning, I want us to look at this vow that Jephthah made and what it teaches us about our blindness to the grace of God. And there are two truths I just want to share that is in front of your outline. The first truth I want us to learn from these verses is that sometimes all of us who have truly come to faith... By the way, this sermon today is only for believers. It's only for those that are truly born again. That's the people I'm speaking to this morning. I told the Lord today I'm just speaking to true followers of Jesus. So if you have truly repented, this sermon is for you. And if you have not, get right with God. So this is for true believers. Sometimes true believers are blind to the grace of God. Sometimes we are blind to the grace of God. And notice here that the Ammonites, in verse 28, we saw last week, are threatening to wipe Israel off the map. But God now comes upon Jephthah to change the balance of power. Look with me at verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. Notice there, we saw last week that the Spirit of God is upon Jephthah. But notice what Jephthah does. Jephthah does something we don't expect. He decides to offer God a bribe. He wants to bribe God now. The Spirit of God has come upon him, but he's still blind to the work of God, and he offers God a bribe. Look at verse 30 to verse 31. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hands, then whatever comes out of, from the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Jephthah is saying to God, look, if you come through for me on this one, just this one, give me victory over the king of Ammonites, I will give you the best sacrifice you have ever received in Israel. Just do this for me, and I'm going to honor you. Now, we're going to come back later to the sacrifice that Jephthah has in mind. But the key point I want to make here is that Jephthah does not need to bribe God with a sacrifice of any kind. Why? Because God is with him. With that, the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And what Jephthah here is doing is a bit like this. Imagine you go for an interview, okay, and you are given the job. The job is yours. But before you leave, they've told you, oh, you've got the job. Before you leave, you decide to say, can I give you a little bit of money just to make sure I keep the job? That's what he's doing. He's trying to bribe God even though he has a job already. Now, if you're reading this and you should, you're thinking to yourself, maybe he doesn't know that the Holy Spirit is upon him. That's true. Perhaps he doesn't feel empowered by the Spirit. It's not a feeling you feel the Holy Spirit is in you. You know, there's no feeling, special feeling, or... Of course, it doesn't feel like that. Maybe the prophet, no prophet has visited him and told him, Jephthah, the Spirit of God is working in your life now. Do you see? Maybe. But I want to suggest to you that Jephthah doesn't need any of that. He already knows that the Lord is with him. 
That's how he makes his vow to God. Why else would he pray to a God if he doesn't know he's there? But more than that, notice here that Jephthah has already been given good evidence that God is with him. We saw last week that is, it, it, the Holy Spirit does not dwell in lazy feet. We saw that God has already empowered Jephthah to recruit an army. That's what verse 29 tells us. He passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah. What he's doing here is that he's gathering the army. And God has empowered him. He's given him favor with the people. He can already see evidence of God at work in his life. But it's more than that. Jephthah knows God is with him because Jephthah has already told us that. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, this is what he told the king of the Ammonite. I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, oh, this is a good sermon. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. He's preaching to the king of the Ammonites that God is with him. So we're wondering, I mean, what's going on here? God is on you, and yet you are trying to bribe God. How can a man say such things about God to the Ammonites and try and bribe God when the Spirit of God is upon him? How is this possible? Well, the answer is that Jephthah is a human being. And like all human beings, he's still haunted by his past. He knows that God is loving to his people. Because he's taught them that he's taught the king of the Ammonites in his long statement. It is God who delivered the land from the the Amorites to us, he said. He knows God is loving to, to, to his people. But the question Jephthah is asking himself is simple. And we all ask this question. Does God love me? I know God loves his people. But does he love me, Chola? Does he love me, Michael? Does he love me, Nick? Does he love me? Jephthah. Notice carefully what he says to God in verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, it is his concern is about can God do this through him? Now, if you haven't been with us, of course, this sounds all very strange. Why would he have doubts about you know, God working through him? But if you've been with us, you know that it is, let's put ourselves in Jephthah's shoes. You know something about Jephthah's background. What is going through Jephthah's mind? We need to do this as we read the scriptures. I think what Jephthah is thinking here is this. All my life, I have been an outcast. I have never had anyone I can depend on. My mother was a prostitute. My father abandoned me to a life of crime in Tob. Now I am here facing this greatest battle of my life. I lose this one, and I'm dead. I have never had in my life anyone I can depend on. So how do I know that this God is still with Israel? He's still with me. How can I know I can depend on this God when everyone else in my life has let me down? Jephthah knows God has given him this job, but he feels he needs to end God's life. He needs to make sure. If he's been given a job, but he needs to bribe the employer. Just so that the employer, God, does not change his mind. Jephthah is blind to the grace of God to him. Sometimes we are blind to the grace of God in our lives. 
When I say we, remember I said all true followers of Jesus. You know God has already lavished his amazing grace on you in Jesus. And yet, like an orphan, you are still trying to make God love you. You think that if you work hard for God and really give him your best, God will work hard for you. You are hoping if you come to church every Sunday, if you share Jesus with others, you are hoping that if you visit the sick, if you care for those who are elderly among us, you are hoping that God will see how good you are and he will reward you. You are not thinking like that, that that is what will take you to heaven. No, you believe in salvation by grace. But you believe doing these things is what will keep you in God's favor still. You hope God will bless you with a good job, perhaps good kids or a nice spouse or perhaps a nice house. Now, I'm speaking to Baptists here, Reformed people. I know you don't believe in the prosperity gospel, the first gospel of Joe Austin or Joyce Mayer. You don't believe in any of that. You can see through the sham that it is. So you don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I know that. But in practice, your approach to God is the same as that false teaching of Joe Austin and Joyce Mayer. You're saying, be nice to God and God will, do, will give you the best life now. It is ancient. We see it in Jephthah. There's nothing new about the prosperity gospel. And many in our churches here, many of you are living like this. But as we see here with Jephthah, people who live like this are sinning because living, trying to, act, to do, live in such a way that God will bribe you is a sin. You bribe, to live in such a way that you bribe God and God will do things for you is a sin. God, friends, will not be bribed by anyone to do anything. And most importantly, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to bribe God. Because God loves you forever. Look at Romans 5, verse 8. It says this. You should know this scripture by heart. Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, friends, that is how much God loves you. God loves you so much, sister, that he left the glories of heaven for you. And he put on the human rags for you. And he took those human rags and took them to the cross, nailed them on the cross for you. He loves you enough, brother, to call you his child. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be, we, we, we who are true followers of Jesus. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. There is no doubt about it. Listen. God loves you. God loves you. Is bananas about you. God is crazy about you. He doesn't just like you. 
He loves you. And God never stops thinking about you. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. If you are truly born again. How do we know? Because we learned it in 1 John last year. We learned that God is love. When I love, I make a decision to love. But God is not like that. God doesn't make a decision to love because God is love. God loves because it is who he is. He loves at the, out of the essence of his being. God can't help but love his children. If you are a true follower of Jesus, then you can say this morning without any doubt, God loves me better than I love myself. I borrowed that from Richard Sibbs. You can say that. God loves me better than I love myself. And when you try and earn God's love, you are not only saying you are blind to the grace of God, you are insulting your loving father. Which parent here wants their children to doubt their love? No parent. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and today I'm just preaching to followers of Jesus, <laughs> ask yourself that question we started off with. Are you trusting in the grace of God or trusting yourself? Where are you blind to the grace of God in your life? Where are you trying to earn his love? Where are you, like Jephthah, constantly doubting that God is there for you? Just come to God this morning and ask him to help you identify these areas. And repent of this sin of trying to earn God's love. You don't have to. You don't have to sacrifice anything. Because Jesus has been sacrificed for your sins. The first truth we learn from this passage is sometimes we are blind to the grace of God. The second thing we learn from this passage is blindness to the grace of God is costly. Is costly. Notice, let's go back and rejoin Jephthah in Judges 11 um, verse Verse 32. Uh, we see that Jephthah has made a vow. And then as we saw last week, he presses on against the Ammonites. And God, of course, gives him victory. Look at verse 32 to verse 33. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aroah to the neighborhood of Minith, 20 cities as far as Abel-Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Jephthah has sinned with this vow, but God is full of grace. He's with, he's on, he's with him. And he gives him this great victory, a devastating victory against the Ammonites. And we can imagine at this point, Jephthah is so excited. He's so pleased that God would do these things. He can't wait to get home to a victory party. And he makes his way home. Look at verse 34. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah. So he's come home. And look who has come to welcome him with songs of celebration. His own daughter. Look, let's continue reading verse 34. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dances. She was his only child, and besides, besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. Jephthah realizes the person who has come to meet her is his only child. 
And immediately Jephthah breaks in tears. Look at verse 35. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes. This means that he was just crushed to the spirit and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. He's blaming us somehow. I don't get this. He said, You have brought me very low and you have become the cause of my great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. Let us freeze the camera there. Why is our hero Jephthah heartbroken? Because of the vow he made in verse 30 to verse 31. Let's rewind again to verse 30 to verse 31. The vow he made in verse 30 says this. He says this to God in verse 30. If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace after I've won from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's. I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Jephthah promised God to sacrifice anything that came out to meet him. Now, a lot of people spend tons of amounts of books trying to work out what the burnt offering is. But you've been with us through judges, so you don't need to worry about that. Because if all you have to do is to remember the last time we meant a burnt offering. Because the offer of judges doesn't change his meaning as he's going through the book. The last time we made a burnt offering was in Judges 6, verse 25 to 26. You can read that in your spare time. But it's what the angel of the Lord what asked Gideon to do. Gideon offered up a burnt offering when he had destroyed the tower of Baal. The next time we meet a burnt offering after this is when Manoah offers a burnt offering, as it's called in Judges 13, when Samson comes. We are meeting Samson next week in the evening. It's obvious what a burnt offering is. A burnt offering is an animal sacrifice to God. But we now realize that Jephthah was not thinking of impressing God with an animal sacrifice. No. Notice his words in verse 31. Whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me. He was planning to offer God whatever came out to meet him. What can come out of your house to meet you? To meet you personally. To welcome you from a victory. Except another human being. It seems Jephthah is so blind to the grace of God. That he felt that he could bribe God with a despicable human sacrifice. A forbidden, sinful sacrifice. And the tragedy now is that he thinks his sacrifice has worked. He thinks his vow has worked. He thinks he has bribed God. And now he's saying, oh, he's telling his daughter, I've made this vow to the Lord and I cannot take it back. I promised God it worked. How can I go back on God? He's so influenced by the Canaanite culture around him. He feels God is up for sale. And he feels God has indeed been bribed. He wants to sacrifice his daughter now. Now at this point we are hoping that his daughter will say to him, Dad, think about what you're doing here. This is a heinous sin. This is a terrible sin. Two sins do not make right. Two wrongs do not make a right. But she doesn't. Look at verse 36 to verse 39. And she said to him, Father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, 
on the Ammonites. So then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me, in verse 37. Leave me alone for two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I and my two companions, my companions, sorry. So he said, go, that's all he says. Then she went, then he sent her away from, for, for two months and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. Notice the author of Judges is so shocked by this event that he won't even repeat the vow. He just said, look, he did to her according to what he had promised. It is too despicable to contemplate. He was planning to offer to God whatever came out to meet him. <coughs> and Jephthah is doing that. Because he's so blind to the grace of God that he felt that he could bribe God with a human sacrifice. And the tragedy now, he thinks, as I've said, it has worked. And because he feels it has worked, he kills his own daughter, doesn't he? The evil is worse than Abimelech. Abimelech killed 69 brothers on a single stone. But the evil of Israel has descended to the point that the judge now, Abimelech was not a judge, that the judge now is murdering his own child. And he's doing it in the name of God. This evil is reminding us as we're going through judges that it's getting darker in judges. It's getting very dark. Even the judges now are being corrupted by sin. The author of Judges includes an interesting note at the end of this tragedy. Look at verse 39. End of 39, we finished, says this, She had never known a man and became a custom in Israel. And the daughter of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite for four days. We are being told here that basically what that means is simply that they mourn the fact that she died without being married. That's essentially what that means. Why, why are we being told she died without being married? Again, look at this story of Jephthah. Look at the judge who came before him. Which judge came before Jephthah? Jair. How many children did Jair have? 30. Yeah? <laughs> the judge who's coming after him is Ibazan. How many children does Ibazan have? He's got 30 daughters and 30 sons. The author of Judges goes in his wisdom as sandwich Jephthah between these two judges to draw us to a key point. He's drawing us to a point that Jephthah here, out of being blind to grace, dies. He dies. He, he, the daughter dies, rather, sorry. And this line ends. And because his line ends, it's not like other judges. He suffers because he's blind to the grace of God. Blindness to the grace of God is costly. In the end, when you ignore the grace of God in your life, you are the one who loses out. In the end, you are the one who loses out. And this is a warning to all true followers of Jesus this morning. Let's pause there now and reflect. I wonder when you read this passage, what concerned you most? I wonder what concerns you most about this passage. Two things concern you. 
The first is that the Spirit of God is on Jephthah in verse 29. How can Jephthah, filled with the Spirit of God, do a human sacrifice? Such a terrible sin. In fact, it's so terrible that that question has made many people reinterpret the entire passage to fit into their understanding. They cannot get around this idea of Jephthah, a judge, committing such evil. That's the first concern I have. The second concern I had when I read this is God does not intervene to stop Jephthah like he did with Abraham. Remember, Abraham nearly did this. But God here allows Jephthah to self-destruct in this way. Of course, that was a command God gave Abraham, and so God stayed Abraham's hand. But Jephthah's sin has led to sacrifice, and God doesn't intervene to stop his judge. He doesn't say, you're my judge, I'll stop. No. Jephthah is a child of God. We should, as we read this, don't forget, Jephthah is a child of God. Don't forget this is God's judge. Don't forget Jephthah is a giant of the faith. His name is in Hebrews 11, verse 32 to 33, as an example of a man filled with faith. And I think it's because he trusted God and stood up against the Ammonites. And yet we see here that God allows him to suffer the consequences, the consequence of his sin. How can it be? That concerns me. That God doesn't stay his hand. And as I've thought about these questions, I've realized these are warnings to all true followers of Jesus this morning. Are you trusting Jesus this morning as your personal Savior and Lord? Then be warned here. Be warned that having the Spirit of God does not instantly translate in having the fruits of the Spirit. Do you get that? Having the Spirit of God in your life does not instantly translate into having the fruits of the Spirit. You should also be aware, by the way, as a footnote to that, that you can have the fruits of the gifts of the Spirit without the fruits of the Spirit. That, that's a different point. The key point is that the Spirit of God living in your life does not instantly translate in you having the fruits of the Spirit, at least all of them. The Spirit of God gave Jeff the immediate gifts of the Spirit. He won the world by the fruits of Spirit, love, peace, wisdom, all these things that come because they take time to develop. <laughs> verse 29 is too short to when we get to this terrible challenge that he has in verse 39. This is a reminder to all of us here this morning. People who are genuinely converted will sometimes do terrible things if they become blind to the grace of God in their lives. They could genuinely be converted, but they could easily stumble into a very dark sin if they are blind like Jephthah to the grace of God. You can stumble in a very dark sin. And that can happen if you are not reminding yourself that Jesus has saved you by his grace and that you need his grace, not your pitiful works, not your good works. You need his grace. If you are not reminding yourself of that, like that, you will crash like Jephthah. And God will lovingly allow you to crash 
He will allow you to feel the full pain that Jephthah feels. Not because he doesn't love you, quite the opposite. Because he's a loving parent. And you allow you to feel that painful consequence as a parent in order to restore you. Or the psalmist says this in Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. You can save yourself such pain by growing and appreciating the ordinary means of grace that God has made available to you for your benefit. I am very convinced that if Jephthah had realized the ordinary ways in which God had showered his grace in his life, he would not have done this. He wouldn't have done it. For example, let's take a look at his daughter. Did you notice anything interesting about his daughter? Her humbleness? We all, many of us are parents here. Every child is a blessing from the Lord. But this child in Judges is special. This daughter is special because she only cared about honoring God and honoring her dad. She doesn't talk back. She submits to death, humbly, almost Christ-like in her submission. Now, I know that sounds strange, but remember, keep thinking who Jephthah is, okay? Every child is a blessing, but keep thinking who Jephthah is. We don't expect a man like Jephthah who never had a real father in his life, who lived on the streets of Tob as a gang leader, to have a daughter like this. It's only the grace of God that has enabled him to do this. God has somehow allowed this man with a broken, from a broken background to raise an extraordinary daughter. What grace? He's given him the grace of parenthood. And Jephthah is completely blind to it. This is a tragedy here. He still, forget, forget about the fact that God came upon him in the spirit. He should be encouraged already that God is with him because God enabled him to raise such a fine daughter. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, do not make Jephthah's mistake. Do not ignore the ordinary means of grace that God has given you. Okay, some of his grace is just the wonderful gifts he's given you that shows you he's looking after you. Yes, you don't have a family that you have always wished, you know. But God has perhaps given you children that are, that, 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 that are alive, right? Uh, yes, you know, you, you, you hope that your spouse can behave better, but she's still with you, isn't she? Just, Right? I mean, these are all demonstrations of God's gracious gifts in your life. But I want to talk about one gracious demonstration of God's gift in your life. And that is the ordinary means of grace that he's given you to strengthen you in grace, to equip you. And there are three of them we always talk about. God has already lavished on you the grace of preaching. The preaching coming from here is a gift from God to you Personally, do you take seriously that this preaching is a gift of grace from God for you? If you do, the question I have for you is, why don't you prioritize that? I mean, why are there so few of you here in the evenings for more sitting under the preaching of the word? There are some of you with genuinely good reason, and I know you do. But do you take seriously that 
Preaching is a means of grace that God has ordained for you to grow. Or are you shoving that gift back in God's face as some sort of unwanted Christmas present? Do you accept that the Lord's Supper is a gift of grace to you? Do you accept that? Do you realize that God has ordained the Lord's Supper to strengthen and encourage you in that? Well, if you do, why are there so few of you here last Sunday evening? Eight, I counted. You are shoving the gift of God back in his face. Do you accept that baptism is the ordinary means of grace from God for you to encourage you in your walk with Christ? If you do, then why are you still not baptized? God has given you a gift of baptism. Why are you not taking him up on that? Do you see the dislocation here? Now, I'm not saying you should do all this. By the way, in the Sunday evening, I'll preach here in the evening, even if no one turned up. I'll be happy to preach to you in South Africa. And if they didn't turn up, I'd be happy to preach to the Lord. <laughs> Alright? So I'm not interested in numbers. I encourage you about these things for your benefit, for your growth. Because these are gifts. God is not broken for you. He's given you these gifts and you shove them back to him. Ordinary means of grace. So then... We need to come back to that question at the start. Are you trusting the grace of God or trusting yourself? For some of us here, trusting the grace of God means recognizing that you're no longer orphans. Some of you are trying to earn God's favor. Recognize now. Put an end to it. Kill it. You don't need to earn God's favor. If you're truly born again, rest. Enjoy being with God. Enjoy it. Honestly, you don't have to do anything. And I told you, you have to come in the evening. But remember why I told you to do that? You come in the evening because it's a gift from God, right? If you, it's between you and God if you, wanna, you, don't, you don't want it. But remember, you don't have to do anything. That's very important. You, you, coming to the evening doesn't make God love you more. He loves you. He loves you. So the first thing some of you need to do is to recognize you don't have to do anything. Rest in the grace and enjoy being with God. For some of you, it means coming afresh to God and confessing that the wonderful things that he's given you, you, take, you have taken them for granted for too long. Repent. 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 Return. Return. Return to God. And then rest. Rest. Rest in his grace. Amen. Amen.